Well, I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to John chapter 6. John 6. And John is in the New Testament. <clears throat> Feel free to use your table of contents. We've been in a series called The Road, uh, looking at John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we've been considering and, and talking about how the Jesus way connected to the Jesus truth empowers the Jesus life. And this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus brings life. Life is important to Jesus. The Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, records 43 times in the Gospel where Jesus talks about bringing life. Jesus offers life. And one um, particular passage we want to read and engage this morning is in John 6. Jesus has just fed thousands of people miraculously. And then he engages in this conversation. We'll pick it up in verse 25. I'll read our passage. Jesus said, cross over the lake, and people were following him. In verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, excuse me, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I and the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of God for the people of God. Jesus says to them and says to us, I offer life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus brings life. Now, it's interesting. In this particular context, he's talking to people who are alive. He's not talking to people who had just recently died and showing up on the scene and saying, I bring life. Jesus is talking to people who are physically alive. Their heart is beating. Their lungs are providing breath. They are listening, talking, walking, living people, physically alive. And Jesus says, I have come to bring life. Somewhat confusing. It would be like showing up at a party, a feast, where family and friends are gathered and, and someone has worked really hard to prepare a meal. People are partaking in this meal. They're eating and there's wine, there's drinking, there's celebration. And to show up and say, I have something to say, everyone. Good news. As you're chewing on your food, 
I have come to provide a meal. People kind of chewing, taking a drink, looking around, thinking, I, I, I think that's already been covered. We're, we're eating right now. It's kind of like showing up to someone at a well who's drawing water and saying to them, I have come to bring water for you. As they pull up the bucket and look and wonder, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm at a well drawing water. What water do you have? Or it's like having a conversation with someone and, and saying, I have good news. You can be born. And you wonder, what born? I, I, I already was. I've been born already. Jesus has these strange interactions with people where he shows up on the scene and he offers a meal when they're eating and a drink when they're drinking and life when they're living. And what Jesus is wanting to get at is not how to just be physically alive, but how to be emotionally, spiritually, truly alive. He looks at the crowd and he says, there's more to life than just a beating heart. Jesus comes to bring genuine, eternal, lasting satisfaction, to bring a fulfilling life. And that's good news for us. And so this morning, in the midst of the struggles and the challenges of life, we can relate a lot with people in need of good news of how to be alive in the midst of life that often feels like death. And so let's engage. Let's see what Jesus has to say. How we can experience ultimate, true, lasting satisfaction in life. How to find satisfaction. The first step in finding satisfaction is a bit interesting. (laughs) The first step to satisfaction is finding disillusionment. A satisfaction begins with disillusion. Have you ever experienced disappointments in life? Discouragement? Uh, Looked at your story and looked at the circumstances that you find yourself in and just been brought to an end to think, is this what life's about? If that's where you are, that's good news. (laughs) Because you're actually on the path toward finding genuine satisfaction. The path begins with finding disillusionment. In the early 2000s, when reality TV was a a cool thing and a new thing, uh, there was a show called Magic's Magic's Biggest Secrets Revealed. Very interesting. And it was groundbreaking because what they showed were magicians actually didn't do magic. I was, I was shocked, personally. I thought for sure they really teleported or, or really were able to pull a dove out of a hat. But actually, you know, contrary to what you see, uh, it was just an illusion. It was just fake. And there's something about finding out the trick, that the power of it loses its, its awe. When you see someone's card trick and you realize just how they did it, now the power of it, it's, it, there's no use in it. It's, it loses its power once you find the trick behind it. And the same is true for life. There's power that things and relationships and people have over us. But when we are able to see the illusion of the joy and life that we want 
it to bring us, it can lose its control. It can lose its power. And so what are some of the relationships and things in life that we look to for satisfaction? What are some of the disillusionments in life? Uh, For many of us, we are disillusioned with momentary comforts and pleasures. We are disillusioned by things, by momentary comforts. Uh, In the passage, we pick up in verse 25. uh, Jesus has just, as we mentioned, fed thousands of people miraculously. The feeding of 5,000 people. And the news has spread, and Jesus has crossed over, and uh, crossed over a lake, and they go to follow him. And you can imagine the news. The crowd grows, and they, wanna, they want more to eat. They're seeking him. In verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when do you come here? Like, Jesus, we've been searching for you. We, we thought we lost you. When did you get over to this side? And now, it's interesting, Jesus' response, his response to it. You would think he might blush. Think, oh, you, really? All of you are, are looking for me, Jesus? Oh, man, you know, blesseth are ye who seeketh after me. I, appreci- I appreciate your effort. You crossed over the sea. We're here together. You'd think maybe that's how he'd respond, but he doesn't. In verse 26, he says, truly, truly. Translation is, let's get real, people. Let's get real. I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work. In other words, do not make your life pursuit food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life. And you can just, you can just feel the air leaving the room. I mean, they're, in the op- they're outside, so they're not in a room, but you can, you can feel the disappointment in this moment. People had brought their friends. They had told them about what Jesus had just done. They bring their friends, and they show up wanting to see Jesus do something miraculous again, and he has a sermon. That is the worst. You're expecting food, and he's preaching. You can feel the, the disillusionment, the discouragement. And, uh, and here's the reality that Jesus is saying. You know, I could, bring, I could make food again, but you're going to be hungry again. You could have momentary food, but life is more than just eating and drinking. It is more than just momentary food and comfort. They were hungry for food, and Jesus says you need to be hungry for something greater. So a question for us this morning is, what are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? What are you hoping will bring you satisfaction in life? Uh, Some of us are hungry for food. And maybe hungry right now. Uh, Maybe food is what we turn to when life's stressful. If I can just have a good meal or any meal, life will be good. Others are hungry for fame. Others hungry for power. Others hungry for material possessions. But there's a paradox in life, and that is that the more we consume, the more we crave. We look to momentary things for pleasure, but it always leaves us wanting more. 
You know, speaking of food, um, it's interesting watching television with our boys now, especially if it's on cable um, and there's these things called commercials you kind of forget about with Netflix. And, and when the commercial comes on the TV, especially if it's any kind of kid's channel, it's typically cereal or some magic-looking food. And our boys, we have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, they look at it just in awe. Like, tricks? Wow. And, and, and then toys as well, of course. These, and these people, they know what they're doing. They spend mil- billions of dollars to create an ad that tells you your life stinks unless you have this cereal. Your life stinks unless you have this toy. And I sit there, as this was, as this was happening with our kids, I tried to explain to them, Bennett and Jack, listen, they're just they're presenting an illusion, okay? That cereal is not going to make you happy, and that toy is not going to... Do you remember what you... Are you guys paying attention, you know, as they're like watching the commercial? And it's true, we live in an advertisement age where people craft an image and they say, if you want joy, if you want satisfaction, you need this. And we know it's not true, and yet we go to it over and over and over and over again. You can live wanting satisfaction in food. You can live wanting satisfaction in fame, in power, in sex, but it will not fulfill. One step towards satisfaction is understanding that disillusionment. But it's not just material possessions or food or or momentary pleasures. We experience disillusionment with others. Disillusionment in relationships. In verse 26, Jesus answered them. He, He understands what they're after. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They didn't want Jesus. He knows that. And they don't want what he ultimately wants to give them. They want a momentary fix to their hunger. You know the feeling when someone wants not you, but just what you can do for them. The feeling when someone wants you, not for you, but for what you provide. Someone wants to hang out. As a kid, someone wanted to come over. Oh, great, I have friends. They want to come over. This is amazing. I must be someone that another person would want to spend time with, only to have them come over and just be on the Xbox all afternoon. That feeling when someone wants not you, but what you provide. You get the phone call, someone wants to hang out, someone wants to have a meal. You haven't talked to this particular friend in a while, and you meet up, and then you notice they have papers with them and they're going on a mission trip and they're wanting you to support it. Or they're wanting to connect and learning about your job and learning about your career and, and you realize they're just wondering if you can put a good word in for them at your job, at your workplace. It's not that those things are bad or wrong and there's some certainly some wisdom in going to people with our needs and and networking and asking for someone to put in a good word at the workplace, but a feeling when someone is just using you for what you can give to them. A friend, someone from your small group who wants to hang out, and they're not able to ask you questions. They're not able to have a conversation with you. How is your day? They only want you to help them. 
the feeling of being used. That is what's happening here with Jesus. And this is what we often experience in life, with friendships, in marriage, in marriage. Talk about disillusionment. You're dating someone, you're engaged to Mr. or Mrs. Perfect. You go over to their apartment and it's clean. And they're always asking how your day was and around your parents. They're so kind and asking questions. And then you get married. And you wonder what happened. Where before they were wanting to spend time with your family. Now they're just wanting to hang back. Before, they cleaned their room. Now they just throw clothes all over the place. Disillusionment. The relationships. People let us down. The church lets us down. Christians let us down. That's our next form. Disillusioned with the church. Jesus here is talking to God's people. He's talking to God's people. Uh, They're the ones who are wanting to use him. And uh, they're the ones who Jesus is disillusioned by. Disillusionment with the church. And that's where I think it often stings the most. Christians, people who should know better, should do better. We can understand others not being loving. We can understand others using us, but our brothers and sisters in the faith... We don't know how to do, handle that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is interesting. Jenny uh, quoted from this book earlier uh, in his book, Life Together. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian and author in the midst of uh, Nazi Germany in World War II and would die in a concentration camp. He knew disillusionment. He puts it this way. I like this. He says, Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we're fortunate, with ourselves. What he's saying, if you want to press into the knowledge of God and what he, the how he wants to work in your life, you can't look past the mistakes and problems of people, especially Christians, and even yourself. And this is the fourth disillusionment, disillusionment with ourselves. In verse 27, Jesus says, Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life. And they respond, they say to him, What must we do? What must we do, Jesus, to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So interesting. They say, what do we need to do for this bread? We don't want to just be freeloaders. You know, we don't want to just ask for favors here. What do we need to do, Jesus? And Jesus says, here's your work. Believe in my work. Believe in me. And this, man, Jesus would, would, would not fit in our day and age. <laughs> because Jesus says, believe in me. The motto of our age is believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. You might not be able to trust other people. Certainly can't trust God. 
Who knows what he'll do? But you can trust yourself. And that lasts all the way until you fail at something. You know the feeling of failing. (laughs) Do you ever fail at something? Do you ever make a mistake? I do. That's actually pretty frequent. Um, Even in like small things. A lot of times we think of failure in like these big things. Often it's in the small little areas of life. Like say for example, if my wife Megan asked me to go to the grocery store uh, to get milk because she was baking something and and what she was making required milk. And I thought, okay, I can do this. Yes, I am a good husband. I can do this. I can go to the store and get milk. There's a lot of things I can't do, but this is one of them. And I go to the grocery store, and I get easily distracted. I see all the chips and things and other items, and I fill up the cart, and I go home, and I show up without any milk. And I know it by the time I'm bringing the bags in. I'm thinking, oh, who stole the milk? <laughs> Nobody. No one stole it. I just didn't get it. And here's how, what happens for me in moments like that. Maybe you can relate. I sometimes can be a little melancholy. And in those moments, I just didn't fail at something. I hear this narrative that I'm a failure. Those little moments of failing aren't just the little moments. It's not just about not getting the milk. It's just about not getting it in general. I want to believe in myself. But that puts so much pressure to be perfect. And many of us experience this in life. We're disillusioned. We want satisfaction. We want satisfaction in food and circumstances, but we always are hungry again. We want satisfaction in relationships and people let us down. We want satisfaction in spiritual community, but even Christians make mistakes. We want satisfaction. We want to believe in ourselves, and we can't even hold our end of the bargain. We live in this world of not having enough, not being enough. Uh, One author, Lynn Twist, in her book, The Soul of Money, she puts it so well. Maybe you can relate with how she puts this. She says, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. (laughs) Oh, man, I can relate with that. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to the reverie of lack. This internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. We're searching. We're searching like the crowd trying to find Jesus. We're searching for satisfaction. And the first step we're reminded of that God wants us to see is the disillusionment of all 
the little things that we're trying to find satisfaction in. And so then, where do we go? How do we find satisfaction? What do we do? Now, it's tempting to respond to think, okay, yes, this is true. We're trying to find satisfaction in things, and here's, the, here's what we need to do. Don't desire satisfaction. All right? Everything's going to let you down. Everything's going to disappoint. You're going to be hungry again. Uh, the friendship's going to let you down. God's going to let you down. It's all going to let you down, so just, like, just don't get your hopes up. <laughs> and oftentimes, this is how religious people respond. Religious people, Christians, we think, you know what, we're just going to resign to life. We're just, you know, we're just not going to smile. We're just going to grind it out. And that's what spiritual journey becomes, grinding it out with God. And lest we forget Jesus, what he does, we need to remember this. Jesus shows up to the crowd of people who are living and says, I have come to bring life. There's more. There's more than just Living, there's more. And Jesus doesn't criticize their pursuit of food. He doesn't say, listen, you idiots, stop eating. All right, stop wanting relationships, stop. No, no. He says, don't settle for momentary satisfaction when you can have eternal delight. You see, because here's the reality. We were all created by God with core longings. We need food. We long for comfort. We long and need love. We long for belonging. We long for significance. We long for eternal life. These are longings we cannot deny. We are created in God's image to have them realized. And Jesus, again, he's interacting with the crowd in verse 29. Jesus said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. And so now they want some proof. Why? Verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? What work do you do, Jesus? What do you do that we may believe, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, and they give an example, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. They say to Jesus, we want a sign. Moses had a sign. Moses had a sign, Jesus. What can you do? And Jesus says, you, miss, you are mistaken. It was not Moses who had the sign. It was the Father who had the sign. And this same Father wants to provide bread for you. In verse 33, he says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I am. He said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, you want a sign? I'm the sign. I'm the sign. I am the sign. I am the bread of life. In a world where you can't get enough or do enough, Jesus offers himself. Jesus is the source of ultimate and eternal satisfaction. Underneath our core longings is a spiritual hunger that can only be satisfied 
in Jesus. Jesus shows up to people who are living and he says, I have come to bring you life. Don't just settle for a beating heart. Don't just settle for eating food. Don't just settle in life. There's so much more. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, he puts it so well. He says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased. And that's the reality. Many of us, we settle. Jesus shows up and he offers himself the bread of life. And we settle, we settle for lesser gods. Here's the reality. We want a quick drink. We want a quick meal. But if we put the bucket of our heart under any well other than Jesus, we will always be thirsty. Jesus doesn't show up and say, stop desiring this. He shows up and he says, the desire that you have is fulfilled in me. In Jesus Christ, we find eternal comfort. In Jesus Christ, we find eternal acceptance. In Jesus Christ, we find unconditional love. In Jesus Christ, we find eternal life. And so, what difference does that make today? What does it look like for that eternal life and the promises of Jesus to waken us to be alive now, today? On Sunday, what's the date? April 22nd, 2018. Not just that we will be alive someday in the future, but alive right now. And Jesus, this is what he's, he's teaching. He's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say, look, I got good news for one time, one, someday in the future. It'll be nice. And you know what? I'm sorry about right now. No, he says, I am right now, present tense. What does it look like? When we find our satisfaction in Jesus, to be awakened, to live, and to find satisfaction today. Today. A few few ways as we wrap up our time. First, how satisfaction in Jesus brings satisfaction in life. We're able to be grateful no matter the circumstances. We're able to be grateful no matter what life brings. Today, we'll all leave here, unless you plan on staying all day long. We'll all leave, and we'll go, and we'll have a meal. And what's going to happen at your meal? (laughs) Maybe uh, you'll be disappointed in some way. Maybe you'll be eating alone and you'll be disappointed about that. Maybe you'll be eating with people and you'll be disappointed by that. You think, man, I was around a lot of people this morning. I just want to be alone. And I'm not. Don't say that to whoever you're eating with. Disappointed with eating with people. Uh, Some of us have hopes of eating a real nice lunch Maybe even prepared a meal and you'll get in the car and the kids, if you have children, they might be screaming 
and crying, and it's a mess, and you end up eating canned tomato soup. That might be your lunch. Uh, others, it, maybe you're in a hard place financially, and you don't have access to good food. We're prone to be disappointed. We might be disappointed this very day by the company we're in, the lack thereof, or the food we're eating, but you know what? No matter where you find yourself, an hour from now, you can smile. You can smile. No matter who you are or the circumstance you find yourself in, in an hour from now, you can smile because an eternal feast awaits you in your future. And so the pressure of having the most amazing lunch loses its power. We can be grateful no matter our circumstances. Also, how satisfaction, Jesus brings satisfaction today, we are able to receive and extend imperfect love. We're able to receive and extend imperfect love. Again, we're talking about today, Sunday, April 22nd, 2018. Maybe for you, in your day today, you might have some messiness in relationships. <laughs> Just maybe. Or maybe you're living in the aftermath of some wounds, of some hard and challenging relationships. That happens to all of us. Life is messy. It is, it just, it is messy. Megan and I were talking about this. We have a number of friends in hard places in their marriages. Life is messy. And I think there's a challenge today. There's a challenge. And that is that there's so much pressure on our relationships. There's so much pressure on our friendships to make us happy. There's so much pressure on our marriage to make us happy, to bring satisfaction. That's hard. It's hard. Megan and I feel it in our marriage. Contrary to what you think about a pastor, our marriage isn't perfect. There's challenges. It's messy. And the pressure of, if I put the pressure on Megan to bring me satisfaction, to make me whole, and if she puts that expectation on me, I... I can't fulfill my end of the bargain. I'm just a guy. I can't make Megan eternally happy. I forget milk at the store. <laughs> but you know, when we are eternally loved and accepted in Jesus Christ, now the burden of needing that from others can lose its power. And the burden of being that for others can lose its power. And now we can just love people and receive it in all the imperfect ways that we do. And the expectation on someone else is not make me whole, bring me happiness. And we're able to forgive people for the mistakes, for the imperfect love that they extend. Life is messy, but in the gospel, we're able to live out and extend love. Another way, finding satisfaction in Jesus enables satisfaction in life today. We're able to root ourselves in a community of grace. We talked about being disillusioned with the church. You might be disillusioned with the church today in this service. You might be disillusioned today. You might leave and think, man, I was expecting more. Disillusioned by the music, disillusioned by the sermon, disillusioned by what was offering 
offered our kids. Or maybe you, you're serving today or you're doing something. You're disillusioned by someone who didn't thank you. Disillusioned by the church. Or maybe you're here today and you're thinking, oh man, I don't think that. This church seems perfect. If that's what you're thinking, you're probably new. <laughs> and I'll save you. I'll save you. We will let you down. We will disappoint you. Do not buy into the illusion that this is a perfect church. People sin. Uh, some of us, we are disillusioned, not just in the, by a local church, we're disillusioned with American Christianity at the moment. I hear this a lot. There's a nagging disappointment in how some of our church leaders have responded to the political and cultural issues of our day and maybe defended people that we don't think that they should and defended behavior that isn't right and seems to contradict the gospel. What do we do with that disillusionment? Well, one, I want to say, man, I can, I, if that's where you're at, I can feel you. I feel that. But you know, the church is always made up of imperfect people. In the church, there's sin. And if you are hoping that a community or a pastor or a Christian leader or public leaders will represent Jesus perfectly, you are putting your hope in the wrong place. As Bonhoeffer says, the beginning to understanding God, it starts with disillusionment. People will let you down. Do not be surprised when there's sin, even in the church. Sin is in the church, and sin presents an opportunity to pursue grace. Grace. Jesus' love empowers us to root ourselves in an imperfect people. Uh, people pursuing a perfect God. There is grace in the church, not perfection. And lastly, how satisfaction, Jesus brings satisfaction in life. And I think it's going to be different than your slide. We are able to delight in the work of God. We are able to delight in the work of God. We talked about being disillusioned with ourselves and feeling like a failure and wanting to, what work can we do, Jesus? And Jesus says, you can free yourself from the burden of earning my love, and you are invited into the work of extending my love into the world. I mean, what Jesus offers is good news. It is good news in a world of disillusionment to experience the bread of life. Jesus has this interesting action in John 4 after he has a conversation with a woman in the desert at the well. His disciples come to him. He's been in the desert. He's probably hungry. They're like, Jesus, you need any food. And Jesus, he says these interesting things. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My food. What sustains me? What gives me energy? What gives me satisfaction is to do the will of of him who sent me. And what was the will of the Father? To bring life. Oh, the joy. Oh, the privilege that God invites us imperfect people into his work of bringing life into the world. That we don't just taste it and sit back and say, whoa, this is sweet. But we have the opportunity 
to take this meal into the world, to take this drink into the world where people are thirsty and hungry. Is there anything more significant than we can devote our lives to? Jesus says, come to me. I am the bread of life. I can give you satisfaction. And then in tasting, we can delight in being nourished by his will to go into the world, extending that love. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are we being shaped by the Jesus way? Are we putting Jesus as the foundational truth and center of our life? And do we find life in him or something else? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you for modeling a sustainable life. Thank you for being truth that breathes beauty and meaning and justice into the world. And thank you that in the midst of despair and death, you bring present joy and eternal life. We need you. Help us to turn to you in the midst of the disillusions and disappointments of life. It's in your Son's name and the power of the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.